0: Colossians chapter 1, and we're in verse 19, is uh, where we're going to pick it up at. Again, remember, as we've been saying, uh, Paul is going through a very detailed, beefy description of Christ, so that there is an understanding of really the uniqueness and the greatness and the majesty of who he is. Speaking of Christ, in verse 19 it says, For in him all the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. So I know we had just started this last week, but basically again fullness means a full measure. Uh, it means, it's a word that's used for an abundance. It's a word that speaks of completion or what fills. Uh, so basically it describes a full measure or abundance with an emphasis on completeness without any gap or deficit. So that's really, I think, an important aspect or nuance of that definition. Um, Again, the emphasis of the word fullness there used in the Greek language is to make sure we understand that then Christ is complete in his divinity. And there is no gap in the, in other words, if we were to try to describe a difference between Christ and God the Father, there's no gap there between who they are in essence. Obviously, we know they have a different role because there's God the Father, God the Son. But as far as the divinity of Christ goes, um, there is no gap, and so that 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 is then emphasizing that Christ is the sum total uh, of God. After the feeding, after the miracle, of the feeding of the four thousand, Jesus asked a question, and he said, "And when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up?" So the word "full" there is the same idea. So when Christ fed the four thousand, what we what we understand is a couple of things. Number one, we know that there was easily 8,000 people there because they only counted the men. But if you include children, um, then it could have easily been 12,000 people. It's a large group. The idea was is that when Jesus fed them, everyone had more than enough. So much so that they picked up a, you know these 12 baskets of what was left over. So again, that's just showing you how a word is used in Scripture that we then... Helps us to understand maybe what is being emphasized in another passage, and so that's that's an example of that. Again, it says, "For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." The word "dwell" uh, means that something is permanently at home. Is the idea of that word? Um, it is at home in the sense that this divine fullness that Jesus possessed was not something that was added to His being. Uh, It was not something that was not natural to him. It was a part of his essential being, a part of his very constitution, and it was permanent. So again, all those things that I just said there, they're actually really important because for years, actually for centuries, in the debate about who is Jesus, that was part of the debate. Was Jesus a human being and then this divine aspect was added to him? And so that was hashed out for a long time They're trying to figure out, you know, how is he divine? How is he human? Remember, that was a very, it's a very unique concept. Uh, it's just hard for us to always, again, I think, appreciate that because if you're raised in church, we've always heard Jesus is the perfect God, man. So we have no hesitation with that kind of a, a connection or with that issue, but for those who are raised in other religions or raised in a non-Christian home and they're not accustomed to that kind of language, then those questions naturally arise. Like, wait a minute, how is he? And then you might think, well, oh, you mean like the Greek gods? No, no, that's not what we're saying. Uh, Not like the Greek gods. He is the one true God. And so these words that Paul used, again, he used in a very specific way so that those, really, centuries later who are studying this will be able to grasp what Paul knew to be true. Uh, That's one of the great beauties of the Word of God and how it was written and the way that God had the Word of God uh, written. That Greek language is very precise. And when you look up those words and, again, look up the tenses, it really helps you gain ground in being able to see the fullness of what's being expressed. Yes, ma'am. No. Was that no, thing. the incarnation was when he. That's that. That was when the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. So when he went back again, he still has the flesh. He still has it. Yeah, he would be. He's that way forever, because when he comes, for example, when he comes to rule during the millennial reign, he rules as the perfect God-Man. Um, he basically represents us in ruling the earth, uh, because the responsibility for the earth was given to Adam and Eve. They blew it. And lost it, so to speak. And so he's the one that will fulfill everything, is fulfilled in Christ, including that. Uh, so, where people can, can become confused is they think the incarnation is when he became the Son. And that would be untrue. He was always the Son. The second person of the Trinity was always the Son, but he did not have flesh. That took place at the incarnation. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Yes. Correct. Yeah, there's, so, the, so it, the, the importance of the emphasis of that is that what we see with the Trinity is each person of the Trinity is fully and completely God. I think I mentioned last time, maybe the time before, uh, there are those who, who are what we would call modalist, who believe that God just appears in the mode of the Father and then he appears in the mode of the son, that kind of thing. So the way the the way that the word is written, when you see it, it eliminates that aspect or that that mistake, uh, and it becomes clear that Christ is, as it says, the fullness of God in every possible way. So uh, and so sometimes people were raise this question: so who was Jesus praying to? Well, as a man, he was praying to God the Father. Because oh, so he was praying to himself. Well, if you want to say that, if you want to say that, you can. I, I don't know if that's heretical, but he was as the perfect man praying to God the Father. Um, and yet there's nothing lost in that kind of a thing. Yes? Okay. Um, that brings up the question, like, uh, Isaiah 9-6, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the mm-hmm. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Right counselor is the holy mm-hmm. spirit and the father and the prince of peace is jesus yep. Yep. So, and, and there you cannot like you say you can't uh separate the, what one has from the other correct yeah absolutely so there's a, so again we see this consistency in the scripture uh when it comes to that yeah that i'm not shy i don't remember any longer what the jehovah witnesses do with that when it says he could be called wonderful counselor mighty god uh, except my guess is they would say that, yes, he's mighty God, but not in the same sense that God, the father is, they'd all, they would throw that in there. Uh, but again, if you read through the scripture and you study it in the Greek, it, it forces you to either change what the Bible says, or if you accept what the Bible says, there's no room for that. You know, there's no way you can do that without being a, a heretic um and so like so i I think if you ever if if you ever do any reading in church history um sometimes church history books can be very boring um but sometimes there'll be uh like i guess with all history sometimes there may be a book that's focused on one issue so if you ever hear about the arian um controversy that's what its a 300 year period where they were hashing out and trying to answer the question who is jesus and what was jesus and of course they came to all the right conclusions but out of that, there were several individuals who were, who not only were identified as heretics, they were uh, either banned, uh, a couple of cases some were killed uh, because of their heresy. And it really caused some confusion in the church. Yeah. So you can call each one mighty God, mm-hmm. mighty God, Jesus, mm-hmm. mighty God, the Holy Spirit, mighty God, the mm-hmm. Father. Right. It applies to all. It does, yeah, absolutely. The only thing we don't do, uh, is we never call the Father, Jesus. And the reason why is because the Bible makes that distinction. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes individuals ask the question, so can we pray to Jesus? So I would say, well, yes or no. Um, I don't think it's a sin for us to address Jesus when we pray. At the same time, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, we know that we pray to God the Father, And we're able to do so because of christ so we do it in the name of christ that means because of who he is i'm adopted into the family i'm able to approach the throne of grace because of what christ has done Uh, and i pray in the power of the holy spirit i don't have to declare that but because the spirit of god lives in me i am able to do that so they again they each have their role uh, in helping us to be able to relate to god because we're finite beings trying to relate to an infinite being and so not only is god that but that then enables us to be able to relate to god and to understand him better yes Mm. no no I, i i don't know i don't know who would say when you say dear lord you're praying to all three that would just be, and that would be an improper way for a Christian to say that anyway. We never say, I'm praying to all three. Yeah. We're praying to God. God is singular still. Yeah. And so we want to make sure we always, you know, that's where the Muslim messes up. You know, they'll say that um, the Trinity is, like they'll, like they'll say in a mocking way, well, we believe God is one, but the Christians believe God is three. But well, we don't believe God is three. We believe in one God in three persons, and and we want to be, uh, there are certain, there are certain theologies, there are certain certain theological issues that it is important that we get the words right, because you don't want to be guilty of heresy. Now, if you do it by accident, we're not going to burn you at the stake, all right, but if you keep doing it, we will burn you, no. But the idea is, is you want to make sure you say it right. So when it comes to the Trinity, I do try to be very careful, Um, not because I'm afraid, but I don't want to get it wrong. You know, I want to make sure that, it's, that, we, that we have a correct understanding. Um, what is Lord, Lord just means, uh, is a word for master. Okay. So, and he is, of course, even nowadays you say master of the universe. If you've ever had kids, that's He-Man. <laughs> you know, masters of the universe. But anyway, uh, but the idea is, is Lord, and there's two different words for Lord. One is Adonai and one is uh, Adon. They're both the same, the same uh, family. The word Adonai can be used for both God and man, but the word Adon, A-D-O-N, is only used for God. But it just means master, yeah. So if the to pray on myself, are you going say, Lord, not your Jesus? Well, it's better, but, you've not, but you're not wrong to say that. Does that make sense? So it's between what is good and what is best. <laughs> so but but it's but it's a good theology lesson for them that are saying we pray to god the father but we're able to do that because of what christ has done for us you know i am you know because if we think about it christ is my savior he is my friend he's also my brother was kind of a it, uh, a mind-blowing thing but all those things are are there given to us to help us to understand the the intimacy we can have in our relationship with god uh, and so I can relate to God as my Father, as His Son, because of what Christ has done. And so, and that's what we just kind of keep. Well, again, remember it's not necessarily wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's in other words what. We're, and now, when we do that, when we say, when someone says that we should always pray in the name of Jesus or ask in the name of Jesus, normally what they're trying to emphasize is. We're, we're asking whatever we're asking god to do we're saying that um we know jesus would approve of this that's kind of the idea that people will emphasize with that um, but it's not a but we want to make sure we don't use it as a magical phrase because some people think as long as you just as long as you pray in the name of jesus you get what you want okay but well, that's not true um, so we have you know, we want to make sure that we emphasize the right thing with that um, Well, we are in the spirit. Yeah, we're in the spirit. There's no mystical state. Uh, there's no mystical state that we get in. Uh, you don't necessarily have to say that. You are already mm-hmm. praying in the spirit because the Holy Spirit is. Up the Holy Spirit is inside of us and dwells us. Yeah, absolutely. And you can only talk to the Father through the Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. The approach we're able to approach God the Father because of the Son, because we. We have no righteousness of our own. You have have to be righteous to approach God in this way. We have none of that. So basically, not only do I go to heaven because I'm dressed in the righteousness of Christ, but because I am presently dressed in the righteousness of Christ because of what he's done, I'm able to approach the throne because that which separates me from God, my sin, has been dealt with. And so, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When you're using Lord as God, what is the Greek word that you can say that Lord means God? Can you no, Lord that? means master. Right. Yeah. But you said there were two different meanings. No, not two different meanings. There's two different In the Greek language, there's two words. There's Adonai, which in the Greek language is used for either a man or God, depending on the context. But there is a form of that word, which is Adon. Which is reserved and only used for deity or for God. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else, you want, to, say, what else you want me to. Do say. If I don't know what else you want me to say. Lord, and I mean God. It doesn't matter. You're fine. Okay. Don't freak out about it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we've been addressing him I'm as afraid. Lord for a long time. It's okay. <laughs> that would be correct. Um, there is there was a sect uh uh, a heretical sect that formed in the early church god called uh, docetism i i always say it wrong anyway it's d-o-c-e-t-i-s-m and that was a doctrine that jesus christ did not really become flesh uh so the idea is is that the physical body that jesus had wasn't real it only appeared to be real so to put it in modern day language they don't say this i'm saying this as an illustration but the idea is it's like jesus was a hologram so he looked real but he wasn't real okay that's what that that's what that heresy was Uh, and the reason why they taught that or believed that was uh is the belief that anything that is physical is in essence dirty or defiled And so it would be unthinkable for God to take on human flesh. Um, Again, we need to remember, in the beginning when God made Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said it was good. Sin ruined it. Christ came in the likeness of man to fix that. And so we are redeemed. And we know that the body is redeemed because the Bible does let us know that eventually we will have a what? A glorified body. We will have a human body. Uh... And whether it's this actual body that I have right now or another body that looks just like it, it will be a body that is uh, (coughs) purified, a body that is, again, glorified. uh, So it's a body that will no longer age, no longer get sick, all those types of things. Uh, And so the redemption that we have through Christ is, it is physical and spiritual. Um, Even though we tend to emphasize the spiritual, which isn't wrong, we want to make sure that we don't demonize what's (coughs) physical. Uh, and sometimes in, in various types of heresies, Christians have come along and, and said, yeah, if it's physical, it's, it's evil. And sometimes even in the differences between what, way, what they call the clergy and the laity. We even use that language, clergy refers to the pastors and laity is everyone else. But it's not the best way to refer to each other. Because what happens is people then begin to think that there's an actual difference between the, the clergy and the laity. And there's no difference. We are the same. We're saved the same. Everything else, you know, it's all the same. We have different roles because of different gifting that God gives us. But we're all the same. There's no differences. Um, And so uh, some people then have assumed with that, that difference, the clergy and the laity, then people think that, well, if you're a preacher, then you are automatically more spiritual than others. So just so you know, that's not true. Um, in fact, if you talk to a pastor who's going to be really, like, we would call gut-level honest, um, most pastors would probably say that there are some people that they would say in their church that are definitely more spiritual than they are. They have a closer walk with the Lord, all of that. Because, again, you know, there's no special level for, for pastors. Is this you know, we're not exempt from things. In fact, the only thing that happens to a pastor is he is judged by a much stricter standard. So, so even with that, remember that it's not a different standard. It's the same standard. It's just stricter, which means there's less room for error, less mercy. All right, so um, if, a, if, if some man in the church, God forbid, but if some man in the church committed adultery, that would be a horrible sin. Uh, will he be forgiven? Absolutely. Uh, will he face the consequences of that? Absolutely. <clears throat> Um, and we would pray that God would be merciful, that he would save the marriage, all of that. If I was to commit adultery, it's a sin. I can be forgiven. Uh, However, not only would I then be removed from being a pastor, I may never be a pastor again. All right, That that stigma may not go away. There's a lot of debate as to, can a man who's fallen that way be restored to the pastor? And and my conclusion is, is that if he can, it's only after he's able to reestablish his reputation, and you don't do that in six months. All right, that takes that. There's a there's a time frame. I don't know where that time frame is, but I would say that two or three years is too short. Is too short? Um, so there's less mercy, all right, uh, with that. It may be that, uh, and things may go worse for me uh, because, and there may be a greater fallout. Because it's, it's almost like God saying, if anybody should know better, you should know better. You're supposed to be, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like, I guess, with the oldest child. You have, you have four or five kids. The oldest child is like all the other kids. But we hold, normally, the oldest child more responsible. They've been alive longer. They should know better. We've taught them more. And we hold them to a higher standard. And so I always do that with my kids. And of course, they knew that. They didn't like it, uh, especially the oldest. Uh, But when the oldest left, the next one's in line. But the idea is, is that uh, if I was to punish them for doing something wrong collectively, I would punish each of them, but I would always show more mercy to the youngest and much less to the older. Uh, Same kind of idea is what that is. So anyway, with all of that being said, so. The words and the language that Paul is using is is impo- was is important. It just sometimes can be lost on us because we don't always we're not always aware or recognize really some of the great struggles the church went through, and then even today there are still some of that. There are still some people around. Um, they may not be believers. Uh, in some denominations have more of this than others, but there are some who still have a, a, a lean towards, or maybe believe that Jesus. Uh, either his divinity came upon him and then left, like came upon him at his baptism and left before his crucifixion. You still have people who believe that. The idea that Jesus is just only one form of God is a whole denomination called One Pentecostalism. T.D. Jakes is the most famous um, uh, of, of that group. And then there's, that, there's a singing group called... Uh, Philip, Kirk, Dean. Yes, Philip, Craig, and Gene. Yeah, what well, I just said it wrong. Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Dean. Yeah, they're one that's Pentecostalist. So it's not a sin if you like their music, but you just got to know. Uh, so you should pay attention to the music and be careful because if people lean that way, sometimes a song may uh, be teaching that or leaning that way or what have you. So you just have to be more aware. You explain that? What is the difference? Uh, modalism is the belief that God is one, but that God appears as God the Father at one moment, and then another moment, he's not God the Father. He appears as God the Son. Jakes. Yeah, T.D. Jakes is that, is, is, is that part of that group. Correct, it rejects the Trinity, yes. Um, and then there's been through the years certain groups, like there's some that emphasize where they say, um, I don't know what they would call them today. I know this was around when I was in high school. It was, it was like a Jesus-only group so you would only only jesus saves so it's almost like you don't address the father you don't talk about the holy spirit it's only jesus and so there is some kind of weird emphasis there yes ma'am i hear it sometimes in teaching from the new apostolic people new age people Mm -hmm. and they say that jesus was not on earth as god he was on earth as human Mm -hmm. Yeah. To do these things that are never documented, but they say they do. (laughs) Right, yes. So with that, what we have to remember is it is true, and I believe it's true, that Jesus performed his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, There's nothing in there that even hints that because he could do it, we could do it. Um, And he was on earth, but he was not on earth only as a man. He was on earth as the perfect God-man. He was always divine. his humanity, in a sense, hid his divinity. People should have been bowing at his feet and worshiping him, uh, but, they, but they, didn't recognize, and that was hidden from them. So, that, because he was trying to accomplish something specific, but he was the perfect God-Man. So, yeah, we. So that's why again the wording is really important, and then what we draw from that is important. So, in the same way that remember, I think it was last week we talked about the glorified body. Even though we know that the body there are some similarities to this body, and we know that there are some things that we can see in the glorified body of Christ, we don't automatically know if what He could do after the resurrection will be able to do. Like when He was able to just suddenly be in a room without using a door or a window, we don't know if He could do that because He was God or if a glorified body can do that. So you can't make that determination. We can't be dogmatic about it. Um, so in the same way, it comes to His life and His miracles, same idea. Yes, he did perform miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, but just because anyone who who is able to perform a miracle doesn't mean I can perform a miracle. Uh, That's totally up to God as far as how that goes. And the norm is that God does not perform miracles through an individual. When He does that, it's always there are a lot of very specific things going on uh, and a specific message being given. So even if you eliminate Jesus and you look at different prophets or even the apostles, the performing of miracles was really only to authenticate, it becomes clear, to authenticate who they were, to authenticate the message. And that's why we just naturally see in the life of the apostles, miracles just are, there's not a whole lot of them anyway, but they become a lot less through the years um, because they're, they're always a sign that points to something. Uh, and of course, what we understand, the ultimate message is always the gospel. We can call the gospel a miracle message. You can say that, but that is the most important thing. Uh, so even, So the you know, healings and all that, which are great, and we know that God still does that, um, normally not through an individual with a gift of healing. I'm not going to say that no one has that, um, but it's a very rare thing, very rare, um, to say the least. And I would say that this is my opinion now. But I would say that in certain circumstances, like in a Western culture, I would say it even be more rare. Uh, it's most of them, I, the stories I've heard of, or that I've that I know of personally. Whenever there's like let's say a healing uh, done through a specific prayer of a specific individual, normally that is in places where they do not have access to modern medicine. And there's a great spiritual darkness and it's always used to kind of shed light or to maybe to authenticate a person. Like you'll hear stories sometimes of missionaries from the past and where they, they, don't, they, they would never claim they have the gift of healing. But they go maybe to the chief's son who's sick and they pray and they pray for his son to be healed and he's healed. Now, I don't know all the things that are going on. They probably don't either. Only God does. But it's not unusual in those situations that whoever the witch doctor is he's just been shown up because of the god that this man believes in and it gives this missionary an audience with the village because they would say oh his god is real Uh, and i've heard his stories that way uh, and i i have no problem believing that i don't think i don't think it causes any problems with anyone's theology uh, because of the way that it's being used portrayed etc the main problem with in our country, I would say, is the moment somebody displays what they think is the, is the ability to do that is you start, you want to make money. So put on a big crusade and start taking up offering. Uh, and you notice that the apostles didn't do that. <laughs> so. So the doctors believe that, none Mm So, once again, the Lord did heal this person, Mm -hmm. but it also shone the light on him. Mm -hmm. Because they were all, how could this have happened? Well, then, the people that were praying for the man were Christians, Mm -hmm. and they were able to tell the doctors this. no, it's not, you don't see it very well. No. Continue on, verse 20. It says, And through him, that's again through Christ. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So again, I've mentioned before this uh, uh, word study book called uh, Weist Word Studies. Uh, Weist associates this passage with the previous passage, verse um, uh, primarily 19, but before that. And he says, the fullness of the Godhead that resides permanently in Christ constituted him, equal to the task of reconciliation, and his act of making peace affected that reconciliation, his blood being that which satisfied the just demands or the broken law. Uh, just so you know, just as a side note, so I did find, because I was trying to help someone else, if you're interested in reading or using that as a resource, the Weast Word Studies, it is online in its entirety for free. Uh, if you just type in, weest which is w-u-e-s-t uh and you put Weast War studies uh, i just did a google search um i didn't write down the actual address of the uh website but the first within the first five or six that are listed one of those like there's some of them you can download a pdf and pay money you don't don't go there then there's one where you can download a pdf uh and it's usable on your phone or on your computer, um, and uh, you can scroll through. You know, he has like like he basically did. I would call it, a commentary on several books of the New Testament. Not all of it on several, um, but his ones on the epistles, whether it's Romans, Philippians. Those I found them to be really, really helpful. So if you ever want to like do a, a study through one of the books, one of the epistles and you want to read something that's not going to be real, real long, um, but that will really help you in understanding what verses are saying, it is a great resource. Um, Sometimes people become enamored. They only want new commentaries. Well, new commentaries, they may not be bad, but they may not be different. It's not necessarily helpful. Um, But but that is an older one that I found that... um, to me, it would transcend time because of the way it's done. Uh, and so it's, it's really helpful, in, and you can always go back and look at things, and so even though he's a Greek expert and he talks about the various tenses that I sometimes bring up, he's always explaining them again. So you know, okay, that's why this is important. It's is test, present tense. Why? Who okay. cares? This is why. And so from that, we gather this, this, and this, and it helps to take you deeper um, into, the, into the text. Oh, it's uh it's W U E S T. That's his last name. And it's Weest. Yep. And if you, if you really still can't find it, you send me a text or email, I'll look it up and I'll send you the link. <laughs> but I'm convinced most of you can find it. Uh the word reconcile. Uh the uh, definition of the of the Greek word is uh I say this. It conveys the idea of complete reconciliation when combined with another word. So it's basically what they call up. It. It's two different words. Uh, the first part of the word is apo, A-P-O, which is which is state to be left behind. And then there's the katalaso, which means to recombine or bring back together. So put those two words together, it, it forms this intensive word which means to not only reconcile but to reconcile fully so that's so that's the nuance there of of the word that's helpful so again when you're doing a word study looking at a word in context and then grasping what it means helps us to recognize again what's being what's being emphasized uh, to kind of give us greater clarity so there is an idea that two people can be reconciled and there may be loose string so to speak not every not everything is hunky-dory here when you use the word reconcile the idea is that it is a complete and full reconciliation that's really important so I so I guess the, uh, so think about it this way so let's say we'll go back to the illustration I used earlier so there's a man who it could be a woman but a man com- commits adultery his, he stops his wife forgives him they're reconciled together Uh it would not be uncommon for her to still carry some pain maybe for years maybe the rest of her life it doesn't mean she hasn't forgiven him all right but there's certain things uh, it could be certain it could be anything because our brains are whatever uh, that remind her of what took place it's over she no longer holds it against her husband the Lord is healed but there's still that pain so even though there's been in a sense <coughs> reconciliation the idea of a full reconciliation is, is that there's none of that that doesn't exist. So when it comes to God and us, we never have to worry that. Well, I know that i been reconciled to God, but I also know there's some some things I did that were really, really bad. And it's almost like we think that God still is dangling something over us, and He's going to zap us every now and then because that was so bad. That's eliminated from this. That we don't have to. We don't worry about that. That's never true uh, about us. Uh, I think I've mentioned before. Sometimes women who've had, who have had abortion sometimes think that. They think that, well, you know, I'm happy and I'm glad the Lord has, you know, forgiven me. And let's say that, in fact, I talked to a couple once. They were having just a, little, a few difficulties in their marriage. But she had, ne- and this had been going on, gone on for several years, and she had never said anything because she always thought that because she had had an abortion, that she deserved that. That there was an element of unhappiness in their relationship and it would never be what it could be because of her sin. So when I explained to her that that was untrue, and um, that, she, that, that she was forgiven completely in every way, and God was not following her around to, just to give her pain to remind her of the evilness of what she had done, and that her marriage really could be in every way, everything that God intends a good marriage to be, um, it, it changed her attitude. Um, and helped him as well and, and things worked out great between them but it was just such a sad thing when you realize that she was thinking years before there were some things in the marriage that she wasn't quite happy with but in her mind but I deserve it and so if, if this is what I have to suffer because of my sin we still had that idea sometimes that maybe we still need to suffer because of, like we still need to suffer for our sin first of all I just let God deal with that number one we don't have to suffer for our sin We may sometimes still suffer from the consequences of our sin. But even with that, oftentimes, if we think about it, we never really face the full consequences of our sin because God is merciful. God can eliminate all of them. Or God can give us all the grace we need to completely overcome whatever they are. So that's true. But this idea that God's going to continue to punish us for our sin, no. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. And so we don't have to, to, to think in those terms. Um, And so it can be very liberating. And so that's why, again, sometimes understanding what the word is and what it isn't, or that the word is this, but it's this much more, that's why that's important. Uh, Because even though you or I may not be facing that or thinking that way, remember that there's a lot of people from a myriad of backgrounds and experiences in life. And there are things in the word of God for everyone. Um, And so it's it's important for us to, to recognize that. Yes. I have a mm-hmm. Um I don't once once I would say converted I was probably it for it took me a long time to realize that. Mm-hmm. But when we send now. Mm-hmm. And we we all do. Mm-hmm. Well I don't, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, Maybe, maybe not. So it could, it could not. It, it, and that, a, that's determined by God. Yeah. But again, God. But I, what I can tell you doesn't happen is this: God never sits in heaven and says, "I was going to bless Pam with this," but you know, in 1984, she did that. Nah, we'll give it to somebody else. That doesn't happen. Okay. Not, not now there are times that God is going to bless you. I hate saying it that way, but God's going to bless you, and you sin, and He withholds that blessing because of that sin. Yeah, okay. Just because you seek forgiveness doesn't mean you're going to get whatever's coming. You don't even know what it was going to could be. That, could that could blessing be withheld as far as when you're asking for salvation for family members? If you sin, but you've asked forgiveness, because mm-hmm. you realize you've asked him for forgiveness, mm-hmm. could He still? With whole blessings too. What do you mean with hope? What, what are you talking about? With whole blessings? Well, oops, I'm not sure what you're asking. Huh? I have no idea where you would even get that idea from. Because there's nothing in the Bible. I think so. Because I think because yeah. you know, he already knows who or, or he is yeah. who we not. You don't, you remember now, God is not a human being. So he doesn't play with us. That's, a, that's a, what you've described. You may not know this, but what you've described is a very manipulative situation. God doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You your children for satisfy yourself. God does for your good. Right, for your good. But God's not God's not going to say, I'm not going to save your son because of what you just did. That that's just not in the Bible anywhere. So there's no reason to carry that around. I didn't think I didn't think it really. Well, you were. <laughs> you wouldn't have asked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So the word, so so the word. Then again, back to the word reconcile. It does mean to exchange hostility for friendship, uh, and again, it pictures the total, complete, and full restoration of the relationship uh, that was that at one time was disturbed. So you could paraphrase it that Christ might reconcile thoroughly them both. And so that's the, So again, it's, it's emphasizing the fullness of reconciliation. Again, to reconcile then is to take someone who is hostile towards someone else and change that into a friendly relationship. So again, you notice then that with that, it's not where you change it to a relationship where you guys can at least say hello to each other. No, it goes from hostility to friendship. There's a difference between the two. Um, So the unsaved, ungodly man, as we know from the Bible, is the enemy of God. He is hostile towards God. God then takes the initiative. In that estranged relationship, he sends Jesus to be our mediator and our savior, who by faith in his sacrificial death and resurrection, life brings us into a friendly relationship with God. So I am a full son of God. You are a full child of God, period. Uh, That's what the word means. That's what reconciliation is all about. And I think I've mentioned before, but that is an aspect of Christianity that some in the world hate because they think it's unfair. Because what they're thinking of is, they are thinking that reconciliation and forgiveness somehow translates into meaning it, what you did wasn't that big of a deal. That is not what that means. Because it required the death of Christ for there to be reconciliation and forgiveness. So we may hear, so let's say that, uh, we'll, we'll take a real kind of a tragic situation. Let's say someone in our church is murdered uh, this week by by some individual. We all find out who this individual is. This person, uh, they're caught, they go to trial, they're found guilty, they go to prison. We find out, let's say five years later, that this individual has become a believer. Most of us, maybe all of us, would actually be happy. No one's saying that what he did wasn't a big deal. No one says that. No one's even thinking that. But the fat and no one ever thinks, Well, I can't believe that God saved him. He didn't deserve it. Well, who does deserve it? No one deserves it. And of course we already know that. So we would rejoice in that. And and Christians have this for some reason it seems the world, when I say the world, it's not only westernized kind of people think this way. We just have the inability to recognize that someone can be forgiven and reconciled and yet still held accountable for what they did. So it doesn't mean he's going to get out of jail tomorrow. Now, he might. That's what God wants. But, I mean, that's not the point. Uh, The point is this individual is forgiven completely for what they've done. There have been stories, many stories, where individuals have been reconciled to families of someone they murdered. Uh, A friend of mine, we're friends. I met him when I first became a chaplain in in Savannah, Georgia, which was 1990. End of 92 or beginning of 93, a young man came into my dorm, uh, and he was... Uh, she was shortly after he got to my deception room, he was convicted of murder. So he had become a Christian. Uh, he was really growing in the Lord. He went on to prison. He continued to grow in the Lord, study his Bible. He even took uh, seminary classes, the whole deal. He did 20 years. He's out on parole. Uh, he'll be on parole for the rest of his life. Um, he In his church, he preaches, he teaches, he's just gotten married. He's doing great during his time of incarceration he ended up writing to the parents of the young man he killed and asked them to forgive him and talked about christ and you know that he was obviously very sorry for what he had done he made no excuses for what he had done and eventually and i don't know how long this took but eventually the point came not only to where they forgave him but he met them in person and they embraced and they're obviously that I I think obviously I I think they're believers and the fact that they were able then to embrace the man who murdered their son I don't the world has no category to grasp that they have no way to deal with that we do even if even for those of us who may say wow that would be really hard and you're correct it is hard In fact, we would say in most cases that would be humanly impossible to really be able to do that, where God is able to really put this family at peace with this individual and all these things. So there's many stories like that that are around, and the world, man, they don't get that and they won't, and that's okay. Um, Just always remember that whenever anybody says that someone did not deserve forgiveness or salvation, immediately agree with them. Oh, you're right. I agree with you. And, and then, of course, you can, and I know that I didn't deserve it either. And if they say, Yeah, but you never did such and such, that's true. I didn't. But that's not the point. Um, you know, if one man kills one person and one man kills three people and one man just sells drugs, but that person eventually overdoses, there's, there's a hand in all of that. None of them are deserving of that. No one says, Oh, yeah, but he killed two people. So he, that's not how it goes each of those are incredible tragedies to say the least and uh god's grace is just it's insurmountable and we need to remember that remember jesus was truly punished for those sins i mean remember the suffering that he went through was it's a very real thing um it's it's very hard i think to really grasp and imagine that christ was literally tortured uh if you've done any reading on just the way an individual dies during crucifixion, it's horrendous. He really was beaten uh, to the point to where that that um, when he was whipped with, with what we would call the cat of nine tails, a great deal of the flesh would have been ripped off of his shoulders and back and chest and stomach and legs, uh, and, and he would have been shredded. Um. They would have either glass or pottery or a metal ball in it, yeah. And that was to make it grab. If you're not sure how that would feel, um, I'm not a masochist, but if you take up a regular, uh, a normal shoestring and wet it, and then rinse it out, and then just hold your arm out and just whip your hand, your, the, the shoestring so it wraps around your forearm, that doesn't really hurt. Try and yank it off. Just a little shoestring. You can't just yank it off, it'll rip your skin. I mean it will, I mean you'll bleed. Uh, and imagine you've got a full grown man who is basically using all of his strength to get that on you and then he rips, pulls that off and that's, when he does that, that's one. I mean it's just hard to imagine. Um, and uh, that's why it is actually really rare to ever come across any kind of a painting or depiction what jesus may have looked like after the after that kind of beating because it would be unsuitable for most people to even look at Um, it was so horrendous so we just so we need to remind ourselves then that jesus wasn't just play acting like someone in a movie and pretending to suffer he really did suffer in all of his humanity Uh, there was nothing to dull the pain and he was tortured as if he had committed those crimes and those sins and it is. It's a hard thing, really, to, to fathom. Uh, I, think, I do think that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, it doesn't mean that if you start to cry, when you think about it, it means you finally got it. If you cry or not cry, that's just immaterial. It's really being able to grasp and, I, I guess you could say, kind of identify with that kind of physical abuse and pain that he experienced. So by recognizing that, then, we recognize that when God is showing mercy to an individual who's committed a horrendous crime... That 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 those sins were truly, uh, Christ truly suffered, in every way for that, um, and uh, kind of it should give us, I think, uh, a different perspective uh, on that, and not only appreciate our salvation but the fact that God is saving others. Yes, ma'am. Pastor, when you pray, do you have to be on your knees? No. When you read through the Bible. People are in different postures when they pray. They're on their knees, some are on their face, some are standing, some are looking up, some have their hands up, some have their hands down. There's there's nothing, some are lying on their bed. There's nothing in there that says one posture is better than the other. So uh, that is of no consequence. Thank goodness. Um, Let me... Huh? <clears throat> when they're praying, sometimes they're sitting at a desk. Oh, yes, especially a, math test. Ma- especially a math test. That would be, that'd be right. Um, okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes, you're like, what's he doing? Anyway, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this because from some of the, some of the passages that are used concerning Christ, uh, there are some who then believe that and what we would call universalism, that everyone's saved. And so we'll talk just a little bit about that and how we know that's not true. And then we'll move on uh, from there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, as always, we are grateful for all that you've done for us. I do pray, Father, that for all of us, you would help us to come to a, a better understanding, maybe, maybe have a better grasp of the suffering of Christ and why Christ suffered for us helping us, Father, to recognize the great mercy and grace and love that was involved in the sacrifice of Christ for us. We thank you, Lord, that Paul has gone to great pains to emphasize the majesty and the divinity of Christ, that we may be assured that we are truly saved and forgiven, and that all that has been promised us in Christ is going to come true. We ask, Lord, that we will grow in our gratefulness, that it will enhance our ability to worship you and to live for you. And also, Lord, it will give to us a greater ability to be merciful and kind to others. Father, we thank you again for the work of your spirit in our lives. We pray that as we are dismissed, you would keep us safe. As always, Father, we, are, we do pray for those who are in the path of the storm and pray, Lord, that the damage would be minimal. We pray, Lord, that there be a minimal loss of life pray, Lord, this would give opportunity for many individuals to maybe reflect on the shortness of life, the frailty of life, the uncertainty of life, and that the only place we can find certainty is in you. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.